We're gonna pray and then we're gonna get to work. Um, there's a principle in scripture, Jesus is getting ready to heal someone and he just asked him just right out, do you believe I can do this? Uh, because the, the way the principle, the biblical principle goes, it's according to your faith, right? That's what will be unto you. And if you don't believe that you can receive from the Lord, well then, you know, if, you, if, if you're faithless in your approach to God, you know, without faith, we cannot please God. You have to believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those, right? Are you one of those that's coming to him for what only God can do, what only God can give? See, if you come to a service and you just sit in a service and you're interacting with some comms, with some data stream, uh, you're just listening to some words, well then that's all you're gonna get out of it. But if you decide up front, I wanna hear from the Lord, I want the word of God to speak to me, well then it doesn't matter that I stammer and stutter um, what matters is the word of God being revealed to you in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? So you just decide up front, do you wanna hear from the Lord? Are you gonna be a passive sitter or are you gonna be an active participant in the study of God's word? Uh, God accepts you according to what you have, not what you don't have. And if you've got a willing heart, uh, he's gonna speak to it. Do you believe that? Uber week, super week. I'm gonna pray for you. Father, Lord, would you help us to see and receive your word? Lord, help us to know that you're speaking. And Lord, we wanna know that we're listening. And so God, would you help us this morning? Would you help us to be able to, to, to have eyes of faith and, and hearts and minds to receive your word? And Lord, we don't wanna, please God, don't let anyone get away with just passively interacting with your word. Uh, this book, this Bible, is your very word. And so God, please, would you impact us with the reality of that truth and, and that, Lord, we would get insight into what your word says over our lives this morning. God, we don't wanna just be hearers of your word. We wanna live in the reality of it. And so, go, so, Lord, we just ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name for everyone that has reasons and doubt uh, to ignore your word. I pray that that would be seen for folly. Uh, Lord, would you bind the lies of the enemy and God, just in, in the convicting power of your Holy Spirit, show us truth and be glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here at the end of Genesis chapter 11 and with the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, we're seeing the call of Abraham and this begins dispensationally the time of the patriarchs in your Bible. Uh, Abraham was first introduced at the end of chapter 11. We'll review that this morning. And we're gonna read his story from here through chapter 25. Okay, now that's amazing to me because God gives the amount of real estate in the word of God that's required for the importance of the concepts of the topics that he's covering. And so, think about this, just over one chapter in Genesis chapter one in the beginning of Genesis chapter two, you've got the creation of the cosmos all life as we know it. I mean, everything is created in just a little over one chapter. Um, the cosmos, billions, maybe trillions of galaxies in the cosmos filled with who knows how many billions or trillions of, of world, I mean, a little over a chapter. The life of Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, the life of Abraham gets over 13 chapters in your Bible. Why, well, because it's more important for you to understand that 
than the origins even of the universe. And, and, and that's critical, you gotta get that right. So we're here we're at the end of chapter 11, what you see is Abram before the call of God on his life. And uh, before we review Genesis chapter 11, I want you to consider what Stephen, he is preaching his last message in Acts chapter seven. And, and this is what he says about this time. This is gonna give us insight into what's going on in the life of Abram. He says, men and brethren and fathers hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, that's a key concept to remember, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. Okay, so let's compare that with what we saw last time in Genesis chapter 11. We're seeing the generations of Terah, verse 27. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity. What is that land? It's in Ur of the Chaldees. So when Stephen tells this story, he calls it in its greater name, Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, that's what you heard about in middle school or maybe late elementary, okay? Uh, this land of the Chaldeans. So in the, in the land of his nativity, in Ur, we get specific here about the city, Ur of the Chaldees, and Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughters of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Isaac. But Sarah was barren, this is a critical data point. She had no child, she can't have a baby. She may want a baby, but she can't have a baby. All that she wants is one baby. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, so she has no child, and Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. Okay, so we've got the map up here. Ur is just southwest of Babylon. We'll talk about that in just a second. He would have followed the river route, possibly the dotted line route, probably not. You're gonna travel where the water is. You never just go due east to get from Ur to Canaan, the Canaan land, because that likely would be a death sentence. You're not gonna carry enough water and supply. You gotta go where the water and the fish are, uh, where the, 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 the stuff is growing. Right, so you can even resupply on your, on your trip. So they make their way up river. There's Haran at the top of the red uh, path, at the top middle of the map, Haran. And then that is where they stay until Abram's father, Terah, dies. And then from there, they come and make their way down through Shechem to Bethel in the Canaan land. Uh, that is the route of Abraham's migration into Canaan. So. They go into the land of Canaan, Genesis 11, verse 31. And they, they came unto Haran and dwelt there, and the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so Abram, looking at our map, he starts out in Ur. Uh, Abraham starts out as an idolater. It was an idolatrous city. Uh, we know that from Joshua chapter 24, verses two and three. And the name Ur means light or fire. Why? It's a religious center, okay? They worship the moon god named Sen. It's kind of interesting in English. Um, what do you worship? Sen? 
It's, it's not right, okay. So, they worship the moon god Sen, and at the center of Ur, this would be a capital city in this Babylonian area on this plain of Shinar, all right, it would mirror Babel itself, okay? There would be a large ziggurat, most likely patterned after the Tower of Babel. Uh, you can see the ruins of it today. And this would have been the most, this would be the center of life in Ur. This would be the tower that Abraham saw. And it was terraced with, you know, shrubbery trees and gardens. But at the top of it would be this sanctuary to the moon god, Sen. Uh, this is the capital of Sumer at this time. It's a thriving commercial city in Abraham's day. Uh, but everybody's worshiping this false god. So again, just think about the scale. Uh, Ur to Babylon is roughly 100 miles, and then from Babylon up to um, Haran would be, um, yeah, 550 miles from Haran. So that kind of gives you a, a little bit of the scale of this area, uh, quite a trip. The, the, you know, the, these moon gods, these would be the prime deities that uh, Abram's father, Terah, would have worshiped, and this is where Abram would have started out. But let's talk about Abram's believing here in Genesis chapter 12 and verse one. Now watch, let's pay very close attention to the words of scripture. Now the Lord said unto Abram, is that what it says? No, this is something that was already, this is something that already had been said. Okay, the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Well, remember what we saw in Acts chapter seven. Uh, Stephen, when he's preaching his last message, he's saying Abraham was in Mesopotamia, that God said to him in verse three, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. So it was when he was living in Ur that God said to Abraham, do you see that? We compare scripture with scripture and we find out how this chronology actually works out. Genesis 12 verse one says, the Lord had said, when did he say it? Well, Acts seven says he said it when Abram lived, right? We just read that, Acts seven. God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into a land which I shall show thee. So, so there it is. I mean, in Genesis 12, 1, God had already said this. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Okay, so before we break this down, just think about where we're at in the story of Genesis. We are at the hinge point, the division point of the book. It's the major dividing line in the book of Genesis. Um, how do I know this? Well, both halves of the book of Genesis begin with a creation initiated by the word of God. And so pay attention to the parallels. In Genesis chapter one and verse one, God calls out the universe, the entire universe from nothing. How did he do it? He does it with his word. God spoke and it was, and God spoke some more and it was some more and he kept speaking and it kept being. That's how God created everything from nothing. He called the universe into existence by the power of his word. That's the first half of Genesis. Now here in Genesis 12:1, God calls the Hebrew people into existence by the power of his word. In the life of Abram, God creates something new 
right? He's making, he's creating something new because he called out the word of God. It calls out Abram. God told Abram to get out in verse one and look at how the scripture describes it. Uh, Immediately, it looks like he obeys. Now we know that there was a delay and there's a beautiful picture in that, but, but in verse one, God says, get out, gives him a promise in verses two and three, and then the next thing you have is immediately, right? In verse four, Abraham gets up and goes. The, the, the picture here is this, God speaks and a new thing is made. God speaks to Abram, and now we're on a journey to the Hebrew people. Boom, he departs. But here's the thing, is we're already getting insight into, we can see that, that Abraham's believing was weak. That's your first blank on your first page. You're looking at this and saying, we don't have to really work. Very hard. Turn your notes over, uh, you, 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 we're gonna work you, okay? Abraham's believing was weak. In verse 31, in, well here in Genesis 12, 1, we see that Abram's to leave everything and to go and follow the word of the Lord. Well, that's not what happens. Terah takes Abram, obviously Abram talks to his father, and so, Terah takes charge and they all leave together. Uh, Verse 31 says that the family goes from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. They stop at the halfway point. They came unto Haran and dwelt there. So Abram did not leave his kindred. He did not leave his father's house. He just moved up river with them. And that's what we saw in Acts chapter seven. Uh, It wasn't until Pop passes on, Acts seven verse four, that he leaves Haran and, and, and finishes obeying the word of God over his life. And so think about that. God says, leave everything. Leave your father's house. Uh, you go to a land that I'm showing you. Well, man, breaking up is hard to do. <laughs> but think about the problems he has with Lot. Uh, we'll examine them in detail. I mean, talk about up a creek without a clue. Okay, he is bringing problems with them. But that would be hard for anyone to leave everything and everyone that they knew. But I want you to, we save this for this morning. Abram's father, his name was Terah. You know what Terah means? Terah means delay. That's what it means. It means delay. In Haran, Haran this place that they're living in, I, I know it's good. It's a good place for their herds. But the name Haran means parched. It is a parched place. It's a dry name. Okay, so think about the picture. Anytime you, de- you delay, you've got some, I mean, God's word speaks over your life. You have, a, you have a mission from the word of God, but you're saying, okay, I know what the Bible says, but, and everything that comes after the but just stinks. It's just a stinking excuse. That's all that ever happens, okay? So yeah, I know what the Bible says, but here's why I gotta do what I gotta do you end up delaying your obedience to the word of God and then your spiritual life with Christ suffers. You are in a parched condition spiritually. Do you see that? Do you see that picture? Uh, Man, God help us to not delay. Abram's falling short in his obedience, in his faith. It's very apparent at this point. But at the point in Acts chapter seven and verse four where he goes on to Canaan, where he goes on in faith, where he goes on to obey the word of the Lord, Well, God remembers our sin no more. God is so good. You know, a lot of times people will say, I I, I would get serious about my relationship with Christ, but I've messed up so big, so many ways. I've done, I've been such a loser in the faith so many times at such catastrophic levels, I don't see how God could ever use me. Oh, well, that's because you're, you're, you're actually 
foolishly listening to the accuser of the brethren. Okay, that's not how God operates. If we had to earn the right for God to use us and bless our lives, it would, I mean, nobody would qualify. Come on, we're all a bunch of losers and sinners. Uh, we're, 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 we're wicked, sinful people that are saved by the love and the grace of God. Uh, don't listen to the accuser of the brethren because at the moment you start moving forward in faith, God says, I don't remember the past disobedience. All that I'm gonna record, and we'll see this in the life of Abraham in just a second, what I'm gonna record is your faith. See, God works with baby steps. And so Abraham departs, and this is the beginning of the Hebrew people. God remembers this failure no more. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse 12 tells you, if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to the man hath, and not according to, that he ha- according to that he hath not. God's not making lists of all the ways that you failed him. No, if you just will say, here I am, 1 Corinthians chapter one, I am, a, I am that, that, that weak and foolish and despisable thing of the world that the world would consider um, in, in some way, in some area, some kind of failure. But God, it pleases you to use the weak and foolish things of this world to bring glory to yourself. So Lord, I'm qualified. I'm not gonna look at all of my lack since you're not looking at it. If there first be a willing mind, it's accepted according to that a man hath. So have, here's what you need to have, is a heart that's perfect toward God. In 2 Chronicles, the Bible tells us that God's looking everywhere for someone whose heart is perfect toward him. Someone who will just draw near to him in faith and say, God, what your word declares over my life, so help me, God, by your grace, I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna do it. God's looking for someone whose heart is perfect toward him because it's in those people that he wants to show himself strong. The warning goes on. Herein thou hast done foolishly, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. You know, people fight all the time in the flesh because they're trying to carve out a life, do the best that they can do in a lost and dying world, a world that's slated for destruction, by the way. It's like trying to get something, I mean, The earth is slated, it's lost and dying in sin and people are trying to get life out of it. It's a zombie lifestyle, it's crazy. Don't waste your time. So God God takes you at a willing mind. Hebrews 11 verse eight, here's how God records what what we just saw. How it goes down in the faith hall of fame. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should receive, which he should receive after for uh, should after receive for an inheritance, right? That when he was called, what did he do? 11.8 says oh, he obeyed. By faith, when he was called, Abraham obeyed and went out not knowing whether he went. God remembers our sin no more. He remembers the weak faith no more. It's like, man, I told you to do it and you flat did it. Good job. And praise the Lord, that's who our God is. In Psalms 103, verse 12, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Man, God is so good. He remembers, I mean, you may have blown it big time yesterday. Well, man, his mercies are new every morning. Get with that. Engage in faith and let God show himself strong on your behalf. Okay, in verses two and three, he, I mean, he, predicts this blessing. There are seven I will statements here in these next two verses. He says, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, 
and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What's happening now? Abram is moving forward in faith, in relationship with God, and we've talked about this before, but here's the key. Abraham is a friend of God. James chapter two, verse 23 tells us this is the case. And God, this is the biblical principle, God shares his plans with his people. Uh, That key concept, that key principle is found in John chapter 15 and verse 15. Jesus tells the disciples, you're not just servants, man, you're my friends. How how can you know that you're my friends? Because I'm telling you everything. And so with Abraham, God gives him prophetic insight, right? Prophetic privilege here in Genesis chapter 12, again in chapter 17, uh, 15, 17, but the key one is in chapter 18 and verse 17. Sodom is gonna be destroyed and God's like, should I tell him? Yeah, I gotta tell him, right? Because Abraham is his friend. God fills him in on what's coming. Abraham is the friend of God. He's in a privileged, he's in a beloved position and you see that's another key concept. A beloved people get privilege information. Daniel was beloved of God and you see the proof of that. Privileged, prophetic, uh, apocalyptic information is given to him in Daniel's chapter seven through 12. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the beloved apostle and God used him to give us the book of Revelation. Again, he gives him prophetic, apocalyptic privilege because he's his friend. Well, the same thing's true for you and I. God so loved you. He gave himself for you. He died paying your sin debt before God, right, before the Father. And he didn't love you to keep you clueless. He loved you to give you everything, to give you all the inside scoop on everything that he's gonna do. And you have to decide up front whether you believe that or not. You're not just a servant, you're also, he's made you his friends. Hasn't he told us everything? I mean, Abraham got some insight. That's nothing compared to what he gave you, brother, sister. You are a beloved friend of God. You're a privileged people and he's told you everything and you're gonna just interact with it passively? You're not gonna take the privilege that you've been given, the very word of God? You know, you don't, it's not like some, some sci-fi, science fiction, some fantasy story where you f- discover this secret book of power. And it's like all the knowledge I ever need is in this book. And then you cast some hocus pocus on it and then you just, you know, download it. It's like the matrix, you know. You're just gonna download all the information. It doesn't work like that. You know, you're just. Whoa. I know doctrine. (laughs) I know kung fu. It doesn't work like that. You don't just download it through some weird, bizarre, supernatural, you know, uh, right or, no. The Bible tells you to study to show yourself approved unto God. You are to be a workman in the word of God. This is an incredible honor and an incredible privilege and whenever you do that, whenever you decide, okay, Lord, you know, I'm just another moron trying to find out what your plans are for your people. 
God will accept you according to what you have, that willing heart, not according to what you have not, and he will reveal himself to you. He will reveal incredible treasures from the pages of this book. Do you want it? Will you come to the place where you can say, I'm, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna search out the word of God, looking for the treasures of God, because God has made me his friend. You just attend a service every once in a while, you interact passively with the word of God, and you'll get the fruit of that. But if you say, this is the very word of God, I want it to speak to me, guess what? It will, and it will radically blow your mind, it will change your life, it'll change who you are. It's, it's the most amazing thing. Okay, so here in verses two and three, we see God giving his promise to Abraham. And in this promise, I mean, we just start out with, with a statement that, that results in great conflict. He says, I will make of thee a great nation. Well, in chapter 11 and verse 30, we found out that Sarah was barren. So already, okay, this is, this is gonna set up a major drama for much of Abraham and Sarah's life because God is now promising greater than Sarah can deliver. That's your next two blanks. What God is saying he's gonna do through Abraham cannot be done through Sarah's ability. But God says he's gonna do it. So notice that all of these promises are based on the will of God. There are seven I will statements that these promises are given through. Okay, so God's giving seven I will statements. I hope that reminds you of another guy making some I will statements. His name was Lucifer. In Isaiah chapter 14, he's got five I will statements that are self-focused, focused on taking what belongs to God alone. He wants what belongs to God alone for himself. Okay, those are the five I will statements of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. Now here's God making seven I will statements, and he's not taking anything, he's giving. He's giving blessing, he's promising to bless Abraham, and so that gives you an incredible principle to hang on to, and it goes like this, Satan takes and God gives. That's their fundamental nature. Satan is a taker, God is a giver. So just ask yourself, what kind of mood do you find yourself in consistently, regularly? Um, Well, that tells you which spirit you're following. If you're always looking to see what you can take for yourself in life, out of life, out of this world for yourself, Wrong spirit. But when you recognize that God has you in such a place, in such a time as this, to use you to be a blessing in the lives of other people, well, that's that's the right spirit. That's the spirit of God. Satan's a taker, God's a giver. Which spirit are you following? Here are the seven. Number one, he promises to make of Abraham a great nation, so there are national blessings, and with that comes the title deed to the Canaan land. God promises that land to the nation of Israel unequivocally forever. We read about it here in Genesis 12. We'll see it again in the next chapter. We'll see it in chapter 15, chapter 17. With that will come the promise of a throne, an eternal throne and kingdom to Abraham's descendants in 2 Samuel chapter seven. And you can study that out for yourself. Did I give you those cross-references in your notes? They're not there? Okay, did you write them down? Genesis chapter 12, 15, 17, uh, chapter 13, and then the throne and the kingdom promise comes in 2 Samuel chapter seven. Number two, personal blessings. He says, I will bless thee. You'll be blessed, Abraham. Number three, I'll make thy name great. Okay, that's, wow, wow. 
God says he'll make Abraham's name great. I mean, what was the problem at Babel? Let us, let, forget God's glory, let us make us a name. We want a great name. We're gonna take for ourselves what we want. Here, Abraham's surrendering to God and God's saying, you know what, I'll make your name great. Amazing. Number four, thou shalt be a blessing. Okay, so Abram, he was blessed. Why? Well, to be a blessing. He was given great wealth and prominence. He's mentioned 308 times in your Bible. He's the father of all who believe, according to Romans 4, verse 11. Christians, Jews, and Muslims all view him as a father in the faith, and, and paradise is even called Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16. Abraham is a major theme in your Bible, and whether you've stopped to think about it or not, he's a major theme in your life. He is the father of all who believe, Romans 4.11. And then there are universal blessings. Okay, let's pay attention here. Number five, I will bless them that bless thee. I will bless them that bless thee. Number six, and curse him that curseth thee. And then number seven, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And you see an incredible example of that, number seven, in the end of the Genesis story. By the time you get to Genesis 41, we see that all of the earth has to come to Egypt, to Joseph, who is a perfect picture. He's a perfect type of Christ. Everybody has to come to him for food. Just like everyone has to call on Jesus for salvation. Jesus is the child of promise, the seed of promise in Genesis 3.15. He is the Messiah who delivers Adam from the curse of sin and from the dominion of Satan. So here it is, man. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It already starts before the book is over. The entire civilized world has to come and have their life saved by Joseph. Without him, they can't sustain life. He is the food giver, and by extension, he is the life giver. That's the picture of Joseph as a perfect type of Christ. And so that's why today, believers, Christians, right, we're blessed in Abraham through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we get saved, according to Galatians chapter three, verses six through 14. We believe on this ultimate descendant, the Messiah, the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, a lot of people will use this passage and, and, and try to, you know, they'll connect the dots, Romans chapter four, Galatians chapter three, and they'll say, oh, see, the church has entered in and replaced Israel in receiving the Abrahamic blessing. Don't get off track, okay? The Bible tells you God's heart and plan. In Romans chapter 11, we know for a fact that God is not done with the Jew. He's not done with Israel as a nation. When Christ returns, to rule and reign for a thousand years, Romans 11 says it this way, and so all Israel, all Israel shall be saved. When the Messiah comes, nationally, Israel will be effectively born again, okay? All Israel will be saved. So the church does not replace Israel in God's scheme, okay? Read Romans chapter 11, we're grafted in to these Abrahamic blessings. We have the opportunity to call on Christ as our Lord and Savior. But eventually the church age will be over and the unnatural, the wild branch, the Gentile bride of Christ will be removed from the, I mean the rapture just does it cleanly, will be taken out of the equation and then the natural branch of Israel will be grafted back in to the root of her Messiah. 
when Christ returns, all Israel will be saved. So the church does not receive the promises that are given only to the nation of Israel. You gotta keep your Bible straight. Who's God talking to? What's he promising when he talks to them? Uh, was it written to a lost world, a Gentile world? Was the, was, the, was the word directed to the people and the nation of Israel? Is it something written to the church during the church age? Uh, you wanna rightly divide the word of truth. So all of that, you look at the Abrahamic blessing and you say, well, where does that put us? Well, yeah, we're pro-Israel, no doubt about it. We're pro-Israel, but we have to do it in line with the word of God. We, we, you wanna be a biblicist, okay? You wanna be pro-Israel over every promise that God himself has made to them. They are God's chosen people, so how can we bless Abraham and his descendants? Well, man, let's be praying about that. See, it doesn't mean that we blindly agree to every decision that secular national Israel as a nation state makes today. Today, you just need to recognize Israel as a nation state. She is a, a secular, Jesus-rejecting nation, a secular, sinful nation, to which all of us could say, well, welcome to the club. I mean, look at our nation. It's a post-Christian America. We are a uh, as a nation, uh, for the most part, a Jesus-rejecting, secular society. Uh, so Israel's no different than the United States these days. Uh, but the, the, the level and the promotion of sinful lifestyle in Israel, it is at, I mean, there's nothing like it. It's at an all-time high. What's worse is secular Israel itself will be key to the coming enthronement of the Antichrist. Study your Bible. How does the Antichrist get access? Oh yeah, it's through a false peace treaty, a seven year covenant with the nation of Israel. And then how does he get access to defile the, the future third temple on the Temple Mount? Oh yeah, it's through the, it's through the secular nation state of Israel. Uh, it is, I mean, the, the, this is, the, this is the, 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 the people or the, the generation that will actually help to enthrone the Antichrist in his rule. Now, not everybody that is part of Israel will ultimately buy into that. When the Antichrist does defile the temple that Daniel, the prophet Daniel talks about, it's called the abomination of desolation. He goes into the temple as God, showing himself that he is God and worship that belongs to God alone, right? He's saying to himself, I will be like the most high, and he desecrates the temple. And, and so for a lot of Jewish people, this will be the thing that wakes them up. Jesus said, when you see this, when you see the abomination of desolation, run. Don't pack, don't do anything, just head for the Judean wilderness, head for the hills, because that's where God promises to supernaturally protect and provide for them until the end of the time of great tribulation. And so that's, there's, a, there's a lot of Israel that, I mean, they'll come to faith in the word of Christ and they'll be delivered. In the meantime, how can we be blessing to the nation of Israel? Well, man, let's study our Bible. I know this, we can pray for the peace of Jerusalem because the Bible tells us to. So we gotta do that. Well, when does, when does Jerusalem come to a place of peace? 
Right now it's that burdensome stone that's troubling all of the nations. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a frustrating conundrum for the nations of the world. When will Jerusalem enjoy God's perfect peace? Oh, it'll be when Christ is sitting on the throne. When the Prince of Peace arrives in Zion to rule and reign for a thousand years. Uh, you can read that in Isaiah chapter nine. Revelation 22 verse 20 the last prayer of the Bible goes like this. He which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the last prayer of your Bible. So we can pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we can agree with the Apostle John. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, you know, uh, I'd like to get married first. I mean, yeah, I want Jesus to come back, but I'd like to get married first, which is like, you know, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like to start a family, which is code for I want to be able to, you know, live the married lifestyle. Then you get married. Well, you know, I want Jesus to come back, but I'd love to hear Daddy, I love you before he comes back. That'd be really great. And then, you know, then it's I want to meet my grandkids. And Come on. There is nothing wrong with this planet that Christ setting on a throne doesn't solve. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And if that freaks you out, what does that say about your relationship with Christ, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the bride, he's the bridegroom. Uh, you show me a bride that is dreading her wedding day, something is wrong, <laughs> something is really wrong, okay? That needs to get straightened out. Uh, you, need to, you need to get to the root of that issue. Uh, we can support and give to the Hatik Fafan. What an incredible way to bless Israel in Jesus' name. Every dime that's given to the Hatikva Fund is given. So whether it's widows, orphans, uh, it's helping to adopt uh, 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 Jewish children into believing homes. All of it is done in Jesus' name. And there may be more ways to do it, right? Uh, like, you know, if, if, the, if tourism opens up again in, in, in Israel, we'll keep taking trips through LFBI. Get that on your bucket list. You want to save roughly three to thirty-five hundred, three thousand to thirty-five hundred dollars. Uh, Maybe more with inflation going through the roof. Uh, I don't know, but but you want to get that on your bucket list. It will make your Bible come alive. Stuff that you have to imagine when you read. You'll stand in these places and you'll see it, and everything will be in context and perspective, and it just gives you a kind of a 4K view of what you've kind of had to been just kind of imagining. As you've been reading scripture, you're gonna see the places and walk through the places that you've read about uh, your whole life in the Bible. And so put that on your bucket list. You can get two credits toward a degree if you do the, the, um, the uh, school work that goes with it, write the report and keep a journal. Um, you'll, you'll be able to get some college credit for that. Uh, there may be more ways that we can bless Israel. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we could probably come up with a thousand ideas, but what we want to do is follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so let's be praying. How can we be used of God uh, to bless the nation of Israel? Number four, verse four. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Again, we're already seeing it. God's view is, hey, he obeyed. That settles it. He, he obeyed just like I told him to. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So this move now into obedience in the word of God, yeah, he still got Lot with him, and that's gonna bite him in the tail, and, and there'll be some issues. Eventually, he'll end up on his own. Okay, we'll see that before his story is over. But this move requires great faith. 
Abram departed. He's at a place where now he's moving forward in faith. He's moving forward in a right way before the word of the Lord. And as Abe obeys, he grows. He's going from faith to faith. And as he obeys, watch this. He gets more data from the Lord. God gives him his word. And until he moves in submission, in obedience to that word, he doesn't get another word from the Lord. Verse five, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land into a place of Shechem, Shechem, um, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord. Do you see that? It's, it's not till he obeys the first instructions that he gets more information from the Lord. And there he builds this altar. There he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and, and Hai uh, uh, on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. And so that's what we're seeing again on our map. So he begins to obey again from Haran, makes his way down to Shechem and then from there to Bethel, and then it says he just keeps making his way on to the south, and so that is the migration of obedience for Abraham uh, on your map there. So notice the incredible pictures in Abraham's obedience. In verses six and seven, if he's gonna grow in his relationship with the Lord, if he's gonna get any more info, info from God, obedience is required. Obedience is required, and I want you to think about something. Now he's building altars. Now he's worshiping the Lord. That's what we're reading about the life of Abram. There were no altars for Abram in Ur. There was no, you notice that? There was no altar for Abram in Ur. You know, Shechem, he makes his way to Shechem. Shechem means the place of burden or shoulder. You know, you're carrying a burden. This is the first appearance of God. And there's no record of Abram receiving any further revelation until he's obeyed fully God's call on his life. And the result now is verse eight, right? He, 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 he pitches his tent and there between Bethel and Hai, he's building an altar to the Lord and he's calling on the name of the Lord. What's happening? He's growing in his relationship with Christ. His spiritual life is now vibrant. Why? Because man, nothing blesses your soul like obedience to the word of the Lord. Abram is in the land, now he's worshiping, he's living in the, in, the, in the promises, he's living in the promises of God. And now his life is literally altered, pun intended, right? He's got altars to the Lord in his life now, he's got a relationship with God. And so, brothers and sisters, if I can plead with you about anything, get to the place of obedience in your life. Get to the place where you can say you've got an altar of worship before the Lord. What's hindering you? I'll tell you what's hindering you. It's your love of Ur, it's your love of Haran, right? These things, these places of convenience. Again, it's like somebody, it's like a tick trying to get life off of a zombie. We're in a world slated for destruction. It's a dead man walking and we're just trying to carve out a life for ourselves in Ur. And uh, we wonder why we're just so spiritually dead and we're dry and we don't have any zeal for the Lord. And it seems like the Bible's just a book 
Why isn't it speaking to me? We gotta get to a place where, we're in the, where, where we are surrendering to the word, to the light that we've been given. That obedience is required once we're there. You'll get more light, you'll get more insight, you'll get more of the word of the Lord. You'll have a life of worship. So get this down in your notes. You will not receive any more revelation from God until you've obeyed what you've been given. But know this, Luke 12, 48 tells you to whom much has been given, much is required. God has given you his word. (laughs) You're responsible for a lot. You know, we have no record that God ever spoke to Abraham while he was just hanging out in Haran. He got a word from the Lord in Ur, and until he submitted to it, he didn't get any more data, no more information. Here's the second thing I want us to get. Great, great picture here. Abram is now, he had a home in Ur. He repeats that in Haran. But now he lives in tents. So get this down. Abram's life illustrates that God uses pilgrims. His relationship is with pilgrims. Abram is a tent dweller. Why? Because he has no home. Even though his descendants, he and his descendants are promised this land, they get the title deed to the Canaan land. Uh, but, but, but Abram is a father of all children of faith. And so as such, he's a stranger and a pilgrim. So we gotta be strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And until that happens, we won't find acceptable worship before the Lord. We gotta be strangers and pilgrims on the earth before acceptable worship is possible. So let's read God's estimation in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. This was his summary statement of the life of men like Abraham. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So here's Abraham, he's a stranger to a new world. He's there by God's promise to be a blessing to all nations. What about you? You gotta decide you don't want the best life you can get for yourself out of this world. You wanna decide you wanna be in the place of obedience to the Lord God. Get your Abraham on. Second Corinthians chapter five verse 20 tells you you're ambassadors for Christ. You're a stranger and pilgrim in this world. This world is not your home, you're just passing through. So you have to decide, God, I don't want the life that I can build for myself in this world. I wanna be in the center of your word, your will over my life. I'm pleading with each of you. You do not want the best life you can make for yourself in this world. You wanna be in the place of God's word over your life. You wanna be in the place of blessing. You want God's best over your life. When I was a young man, uh, shortly after I graduated from college, I'm now working, I got a corporate job and start making a life for myself. Um, this was about the time, you know, I'd been, I'd been chasing Cheryl off and on for almost r- roughly six years and, and during the times that we were broke up, I'd pursued other relationships and, and some of those ended, you know, in a pretty rough way and, and um, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm getting clued in on my Bible and, and uh, I'm getting clued in on how people, you know, getting insight into people, how people think, how people work and, and I remember this um, like it was yesterday. And you can think this is cocky, pro, pro, you know, proud, proud co- statement or whatever, but um, 
and I'm, you know, I guess it's, it's possible I was deluded, but um, the insight that I got in terms of the male-female dynamic, all of a sudden a whole bunch of things clicked for me and, and in a moment I realized, holy smokes, I can marry whoever I want because of how God wires us. Men are kind of like sight hounds, they're the pursuer. Women want to be wanted, they love to be loved, and they respond to the, the overtures of the interested male. And, and of course, obviously, you, get, you, know, you can't have you know, four eyeballs and, and an ear on your cheek. I mean, there's, you know, but you just see some real ugly dudes landing some smoking hot mamas, okay? And so like, how'd that happen? Well, you know, you say, well, they were, no, some of these guys are poor as dirt. I mean, how'd they do that? And, and so, so I, you know, I get some insight and I'm like, I, oh, I can, whoa, whoa. You know, I can marry whoever I want. And it's like, for a second, it's like, am I moving to California? Am I, am I gonna land a starlet? You know, what am I gonna do? You know, it just very quickly, I just, I was rebuked. Like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you don't want whatever you can get for yourself. I and mean, here's Nabal, he's rich, he's probably good looking, and, and Abigail lived a miserable life. Like you don't want the best that you can find. What you want is what, what you, really what you want, right, is, is, is it's the story of Ruth. You want your hap to be right, that's what you want, right? I mean, here's a kinsman redeemer, super qualified, but you know, where's his, where's his partner in life? And, and uh, you know, it was just Ruth's faithfulness. It's his faithfulness, and the hap is that, that Ruth's part, her, her part, she just lands in Boaz's field, and I'm like, God, I want that. You know, I don't want whatever I decide that I want. I want what you want for me. Because how many know God's best for your life is infinitely better than the best you can produce for your life? Okay, so I want God's best, I don't want my best, and so Lord, please have mercy on this moron. I'm gonna just get in the word, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into the Bible school, and I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna be faithful in ministry, and I'm gonna trust you. And it was shortly after that that my hap fell out, that fell out to Cheryl being put back into my life, and, and one thing inexorably just seemed like it led to another, and, and uh, in basically under a year, um, yeah, in, in, in just roughly one year, in about seven years, I proposed to her. She said yes. We got married this September. It will be 30 years that Cheryl has been my wife. And uh, outside of my salvation, that is the best thing that's ever happened to me, um, having God gift me a lifetime relationship with that woman. I couldn't have produced that. I spent six years chasing her, couldn't make it work out. But coming to a place of surrender and Lord, all I want, all I want, who, you know, whatever that looks like, I want your best for me. So I wouldn't trade her for anyone, not even for the woman that I married, and she was awesome. Um, you get what I'm saying, right? People change as they grow and as they get older. Uh, man, I just love being, you know, unless she's beating on me. No, I, I just love being with Cheryl, she is, uh, you know, right, right before I was gonna ask her to marry me, I thought, you know, there's safety in a multitude of counselors and, and I better talk to my mom. Uh, does my mom think that this is a good move? And so I, I told mom my story 
I'm like, mom, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to ask Cheryl to be my wife and I know she'll be a great mom. She's, she's a great friend. Um, I got the hots for her. And, uh, you know, I, I, what do you think? You know, cause, uh, and I'll submit, you know, if you think I'm making a grave mistake or there's something I'm not seeing, I wanna know. And I wanna be able to look really hard at that. And, and my mom's statement was, is she's the one that I always hoped for. She's the one that I wanted. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. And uh, just FYI, when you're planning an engagement, do the homework, okay? This is actually a critical bit of data. So I proposed to her before the internet, all right? And uh, all I knew were, were store hours, but you know, love distracts you. And so the day she got baptized um, I, um, uh, in our church, I took her out for a celebration dinner. Of course, the rings burned a hole in my pocket and uh, we pull up to the restaurant to have a really nice steak meal. And there's this thing in the back of my mind, it's like, I know she's gonna say yes, but what if she says no? And the rings burn, and I just gotta know, I, like, I can't wait for her to commit to be my wife. And so, so I just, I, I just, the plan was to go in and have the meal, and over the meal, have this conversation. I'd written this little message, right? I had a little sermonette prepared, and, and, uh, and I would deliver that to her, and over, over a great meal, I would propose and, and ask her to be my wife. But I, I got impatient, I just, I had to know, the ring literally is burning a hole in my pocket, my thigh's on fire, uh, the ring is getting so hot, I just gotta, I gotta get it out and give it to her. So I preached my little message in the cab of my Chevy S10 pickup truck, and she responds all in the right way. She says yes, we're now betrothed, she's my wife-to-be, and, and so now, praise the Lord, it's a celebration dinner. I mean, if she'd have said no, I'd have just took her home and saved 200 bucks, but, but she said yes, and so now it's a celebration dinner, and we walk up to the restaurant, and as we get to the door, they flip the sign, it's closed. Yeah, so we had our celebration dinner in the country, supper, in the country kitchen, Waffle House, uh, Shoney's, I don't know, it was, do your research, follow the plan, okay? Don't, don't, don't do what I did. Uh, God's, be- I'm, I'm speaking now after 30 years, okay? God's best for me, far better than anything I could produce for myself. Is this making sense? That's just a simple little illustration. That's how you wanna live your life. Are you in the center of God's word, God's will over your life, or are you trying to get the best you can out of parched places like Haran and, and idolatrous places like Ur. Don't waste your life. Does this make sense, brothers and sisters? Father, I pray, for, I pray for my brothers and sisters, and God, I'm asking that, Lord, you'd help us to see your worth being right with, your word, it's safe to submit to it, and being in the place of blessing, being in the place of obedience to your word, um, Lord, what is of greater value than that? That's the place of worship. That's the place of growing in relationship with you. That's the place of growing and receiving more of your word, more of your truth. Lord, being more, uh, living more in the reality and, and, and the, the, the truth of being your beloved child, being your friend. And so God, I pray that, that today the excuses for why we can't submit to your word, that those would be dried up and blown away and that, Lord, men and women would see 
uh, how critical it is to just follow you, to submit to you, uh, to be obedient to your word. And then Lord, would you bless them according to the promises of your word. God, would you bless them? Would you allow them to see that they're in the place of blessing? And then Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Maybe for some, they need to rededicate their life to you. And Lord, just don't let us get away with more excuses and saying, I know what God's will for my life is, but, and then just some hot air. Um, Lord, your God, have your way with us today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.